And if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke on our series there. And we've made our way to chapter 15. And believe it or not, we're going to cover a whole chapter this morning. I know that's very unusual, uh, but we're going to cover a whole chapter this morning. And I'll read that here in a minute. But if you look at the headings, uh, you'll see that it's talking about lost things when something's lost. And I personally uh, cannot stand when something is lost or missing. And I know nobody likes for things to be missing. Where is, where is this? Where is that? But it like bothers me at, at a core level. There's an anxiety and a stress that comes up from things being uh, missing uh, that it just chews on me. Even when it's somebody else's lost or missing deal. Uh, I have that a lot with Kelly. Uh, she, she loses things from time to time. And even though it's not mine, it, it stresses me. Uh, you may have this. You're in the car. Your wife gets in the car. Where's my phone? Where are my keys? Where's my purse? And you're like, oh, and it just hits it's like right there. And she's like, oh, it's right here. I was like, I really wish you wouldn't announce that that's missing first because that that bothers it just bothers me and the funniest thing I had I, I want to tell you a story about lost keys but I lost my keys this morning I got ready to go I have my backpack I'm ready to come up here to the church and I couldn't find my key I was like this God this is just silly I get it please let me find my key like I understand where we're going I just really this is so anyway the the story I have about uh, keys is Kelly lost her keys. We were, I think it was a Wednesday. Maybe we were going to church. We were going somewhere. And then later that evening, we were, we were going together. So I had my keys. Later that evening, she couldn't find her keys. Don't know where they are. The next morning, we couldn't find them. We turned the house completely upside down. Cannot find these keys. I even went through the trash, right? Dad's got to be the one to go through the trash. And it's nasty. We're, we're, it's a nasty household if you have to go through the trash. Uh, they weren't in there. They weren't in there looking for them everywhere. I mean, underneath seats, in the car, everywhere in the house, we looked for these keys and could not find them. And I was, I was praying about God. I think that these keys are going to be found, that they're not lost. I'm not giving them up as lost. They're going to come back from wherever they are. They have to come back. I'm not letting go of this. And a week went by and like two or three weeks went by and I had, still hadn't broken down. I said, all right, I'm going to start replacing. We were just making do with, I think we might've gotten a, an extra house key, but otherwise we were just making do. It was like, I'm not giving up on these keys. I just don't know what, what, what the deal is, but they're, but they're coming back. And so we're sitting in there uh, one evening watching TV by six or seven o'clock. And then there's a like banging on the door. And, you know, most times people don't knock on the door anymore. Uh, so that's like startling. And then even more when it's a bang. And so I look at the little people and it's a sheriff's deputy. I'm like, well, this probably isn't good. And so I open the door and he holds up a Ziploc bag and said, y'all lose some keys. Yes. What? How did her keys are in this Ziploc bag? And what he said is that somebody found them on the road, like a mile down the road from our house in front of a gas station. They turned them into the sheriff's office. Somebody lost their keys. I'm going to turn them into the sheriff's office. The sheriff's office took the keys. It had a little Brookshire's tag on it. They took it to Brookshire's. They wouldn't do this for you, but they did it for the sheriff's office. They said, we'll scan it and tell you what the address is. And so he brings the keys to the house. And I was like, I was so happy. I was like, because they was lost and it bothers me and I hate that. 
I hate when stuff is missing. And then it came, it came back. And not, it doesn't always happen that way. I have a CD wallet. Some of y'all don't know what that is. But that, I, that got stolen when I was in college. And I still think about that. Like it still bothers me. Maybe it's going to come back one day. It just hadn't made it yet. It's been a while though. Uh, but so th- these kind of things, I could tell you about some of the other things that Kelly lost, but I won't. Um, I, I lost a kid one time in Atwoods. It was Caleb. He was about Luke's size. And, you know, Atwoods is laid out. They've got the aisles spread out like this. And then there's an aisle that goes along all of them. And we're at the end, one end of the store and he's walking ahead of me. And then he just takes off running, sprinting away from me. And then I have a choice. I'm like, I either have to sprint and he's running pretty fast. I either have to sprint after this child through the store to catch him or slowly and calmly like, yeah, I, just, I know where he's going. <laughs> and then I'm like, Kelly's going to kill me if I lose my son in Atwoods. Obviously, that one's a lot more anxiety ridden than anything else. But so I, I deal with that. You should have seen me when I went to Honduras when I was worried about losing my passport. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, but it, it lost things. So at a glance, when you look at these headings, you know, you, you can think of it in our mindset of what it's like to lose something and, and, and to find it. Things that we've lost in life. But Jesus is going to tell this three part parable uh, about a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. And while, while parables can be hard to understand, it's sometimes thankfully, at least these this one, this stretch, he's going to tell us exactly what this is uh, uh, what this is about, this three part parable made plain to us in the first two verses of chapter 15. So let's read those first. It says uh, in, in verse one, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Exclamation point. And so, so it says tax collectors and sinners were coming close to listen to Jesus. Now, tax collectors, remember, is not just like our IRS. They were being the, the, the Jewish people uh, were being occupied by the Romans. And so what the Romans would do is they would send the occupying force uh, to, to control an area, but that had to be paid for. You got a lot of employees there. They had people all over the world, largest empire in the world at the time. And so that had to be paid for. And what they would do is they would recruit people that were from there, that lived there, and, and task them and authorize them with taxing the people that lived there to support the occupation and the domination of their people. So it would be like if we had a foreign country conquer us, move in, say Russia, whoever, and they come in and they go, we're going to send some people there like soldiers and stuff, but we've got to have somebody that helps get us money to you know, pay for these soldiers to eat, a place for them to live and for them to have you know, their weapons and them to be sharpened. So we're going to hire somebody from here to do that. Right. And it wasn't like you, you, you submitted it electronically. You had to go stand in a line and look at this person in the eye as they took your money so that it could pay for the people that were doing awful things to you and to your countrymen. So when he says tax collectors, you have to understand these people were hated because of that. It wasn't just that they took extra when they weren't supposed to, which they did. It wasn't that they cheated people, which they did. It was that they were supporting this occupying force. So it says tax collectors and sinners were coming close 
to hear Jesus, which that should tell you something about Jesus, that these people uh, felt a drawing to him to come close. So, so they're coming close, but into the same time, the Pharisees, which we've talked a lot about, and the teachers of religious law are complaining because Jesus is associating with such sinful people. Again, even eating with them. And so Jesus, again, knowing the hearts of men, knows this dynamic, and then he speaks to it. it. It says we have verse one and two and then in verse three. So Jesus told them this story and we'll read the first part of it. He told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders and when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in verse seven, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So part one is a parable of sheep. There's a shepherd with a hundred sheep in this story. One is missing. One is lost. He said, won't he leave the 99 and go find the one? And when he finds it, he'll joyfully carry it home on his shoulders and he'll invite others to celebrate with him that he has found something that was lost. And you think about all the things that could happen to a sheep alone in the wilderness, right? Predators, it could be easily devoured and destroyed. It could just be lost for forever and die out there alone. But not this sheep, not this one, not the one in this story, not this time, because the shepherd came into the wilderness to seek it out and to bring it home. Even if it wandered away on its own, he still went and found it, and then it talks about the joy that would be in the heart of the shepherd, just like the joy of finding something that was lost. And then he says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. So lost sinner, someone who is sinned against God, missed the mark when they repent. We know what that word means. It's when we change the way that we think. I used to think that this was the way to live, but I've changed my mind. I've had a change of thought process and then returns to God. There's more joy in that. And remember, this is all based on this whole stretch is based on those first two verses that the tax collectors and the sinners were coming close and the Pharisees were like, what are these people doing here? Ugh, why, why are they here? Why, why is he letting tax collectors come close to him? Why is he letting these sinners associate with him? Why is he eating with them? And so the first part of the story that Jesus tells was a lost sheep and a shepherd who came to find it and returned with joy. And he says, there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns. And that repent is really big. As we talk through this, that repentance, that change of mind, that coming to your senses is important because what you'll realize is an unrepentant sinner, one who won't change their mind. They're not going to stay around Jesus very long. So he tells that first part of the story and then he immediately moves to the second part. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So same idea, different story. Said a woman with 10 coins, each one of those coins would have been about a day's wage. That's quite a bit to lose, obviously. And it says, won't she light a lamp and look carefully and sweep through the whole house just like I did for those keys? She's going to look until she finds it. It says once and finding it, she'll be filled with joy. and She'll call for others to celebrate with her. And that's what we do. If we find something that was lost, you wouldn't believe how many people I told about the story of the keys. It was just great. My heart was glad and I wanted other people to know about what had been lost and then found and it says at the end of that section in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents now remember before we go to the third part of this chapter what Jesus came to do we've talked about he came preaching he came preaching what the good news of the kingdom Right. So he's he's gathering disciples and he's starting to teach them and train them. He's like, this is the way you have been thinking. You thought life was like this. And he's starting to deconstruct that and build for them a perspective that's kingdom focused and kingdom based, faith based, seeing something differently. That's what he came to do. He's tearing down those earthly ways of thinking and building up a heavenly mind. This is part of that. These parables are an example of that. And, and we know that in these illustrations, he's pointing to the, these two things that, that are happening. He said, you, you know, the, the Pharisees were looking at this other group of people, tax collectors and sinners who were coming close to Jesus. And, and they were looking at them like they were beyond hope. Like they would only ever be unclean and unwelcome. Basically looking at them like they were ruined, right? For a Southern word, ruined, ruined, never be good again. You have gone past redemption. You've gone past the ability to come back, that they would be beyond help. And then Jesus tells the story of a lost sheep. He tells the story of a lost coin and he reminds them that there's more joy in heaven when just one sinner repents. You keep in mind, we, we have an idea of shame in our day and time and in our culture, but for them it would have been much, much more extreme. Honor, shame, culture was huge. If you embarrassed yourself or your family, it was seen as your life was over. And so that's the mindset that they were coming from, that these people were root. There wasn't a mindset among the Pharisees and probably not even amongst the sinners that repentance, changing their mind and coming back to God was even an option. That it was even a possibility that this was something that wasn't on the table for them in the mindset of the Pharisees. And, and Jesus is pointing out that there's not only hope for them, but there's joy when it happens. Because you see in those first two stories what happens. He goes and finds the lost sheep and he brings it back to fellowship with the ninety nine. The woman, when she found the coin, she put it back in the purse with the nine coins that weren't lost. There was a restoration of fellowship into the fold, into the purse, 
And then in this third story, we're going to talk about a restoration into the family of God. Now, Jesus has been pretty clear so far in why he's telling this and what he's telling us. But at the beginning of this next section, he leaves absolutely no doubt what his point was as he begins the third part of this. What the scripture tells us is just one parable. In verse 11, it says to illustrate this point further. He said, I'm going to make sure you understand what I'm trying to tell you. To illustrate this point further, a man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, I want, to sh I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and began and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so Jesus is telling this to further illustrate the point, and he weaves this very memorable tale. If you've been around church for 15 minutes, you've probably heard this one. This one in the Good Samaritan, you're, you're likely going to have heard the story of what we call the prodigal son. And so he weaves this masterful tale. Again, this is all going back to verses one and two, where the tax collectors and sinners are coming close to Jesus and the Pharisees are complaining that these people are there. And so he tells a story about a youngest son, the youngest of two sons, telling his father, basically, I don't want a relationship with you. I just want the stuff that you have. I want your stuff now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want it now. And it says the father divided his estate between his sons and the youngest son got what he wanted. And he, then he ran off. So not in relationship with the father, ran off to a land that was far away. And it says wasted it all on wild living. The, if it makes you feel good, get it. If you want to do it, do it. He lived that to the fullest in this story. And then it says the money ran out, the land fell into famine, and then he found a deep and desperate hunger. It said he went to work for a pig farmer. And now we think pig farm, Charlotte's Web, right? That's probably pretty cool. But for them to hear that, remember, for them at that point, the dietary laws, uh, pork was unclean. You couldn't eat it. You weren't supposed to be around it. it. It was something that separated the nation of Israel from everybody else. This is one of the things that y'all do that we don't do. And so for them to hear that would be like he has the lowest of the absolute low because he's not only working around these pigs, but he's so hungry that he's willing to get by the trough and eat beside them. The stuff that they're eating, I think I could eat that. Right now. So it's meant to show us how far down he has fallen, how awful his situation is. 
that he's willing to eat the pig's leftovers. And in verse 17, because right after verse uh, 16, it says he, he was starving. He's willing to eat the pig's food. It says, but nobody gave him anything. And in verse 17, he came to his senses. So all the fun was over. The money had been spent. The music had stopped. All the girls are gone. The fun times have passed. All those friends that he had, they hightailed it a long time ago. There's no, no, no more food or entertainment. And it said nobody gave him anything. And it needs, sometimes you have to be cut off by everybody before you hit the bottom, the rock bottom. And he did. And it said he came to his senses. So we can think about that in the, in the line of repentance, right? Changed his mind. He's sitting there. He's like, what in the world am I doing here? How did I get here? And it says in verse 17, he came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying and starving. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So rock bottom coming to his senses. He goes, what have I done? Even the lowest person in my father's house is a mile better than what I am right now. I have shamed myself, my family. I've wrecked my life. I've ruined everything. And now I owe a debt to my father that I could never repay. The most I can hope for is that maybe he'll let me work in his house. He'll let me take the lowest position in his house just so that I can be back close to where I'm supposed to. To be, again, a, a beginning of repentance, a change of thinking. It's I thought I wanted this, but now I realize that in the father's house is where I should have stayed. He realized that's what he really needed and really wanted. But he also realized you see that in there. He knew he didn't deserve to be there. He knew after I've after what I've done, after all the things I said, I stole from him and wasted his money. And now I've fallen to this wretched position. I don't deserve to be there. And so he had this plea all rehearsed in his head. He was ready to grovel. He was ready to go. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm awful. Just let me come in at the, at the lowest level. I don't even deserve that. But if you will just let me do that. He was ready to be told how bad he was. He was ready to feel ashamed in front of his father and his whole family over how he had lived his life. Now, let's look at what happened starting in verse 20. It says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love the one the one line in there where it started in verse 20. It says, so he returned home. One translation says, so he got up and went to his father's house. 
He went to his father's house and it was obvious his father in the story had been looking for him, waiting for him because it says he saw him afar off and he was filled with compassion and love for his son. He ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He received him. And again, the son had his script ready. He was ready to lay it out. He was like, I'm awful. I'm bad. I don't even deserve. And he stops him. And then he tells the servants, quick, go get a robe and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. The ring would have symbolized authority in the household. This is what we use to stamp. Here's, I'm putting my name to it. That means it's good in this house. And the sandals would have differentiated him from uh, the servants that he would have had the rights of a son. And, and, and so watch this. He receives him in love and in mercy and with joy, and he's immediately restored to the image and the status of a son in the father's house. And then the father gives him additional instructions. He's like, you know that cow we've been fattening up? Go kill it. We're going to have a big celebration. This would have been something that would have been rare, reserved for a very big occasion, and it would have been a community event. Have you seen how much meat comes off of a cow? This is more than just a family. I mean, we're killing the whole thing. We don't have deep freeze to put it in. That we're eating this whole thing tonight. This is happening right now. So he would have invited everyone to come and see my son has returned and I've received him back as my son. The whole area is about to be invited. Now, just real quick before we move on to the rest of this this last piece of the story. Look at the characters that he used in the three parts of this parable. But in people that would have been maybe an outcast or at least considered a lower level in the society at the time, right? A shepherd. We know that the shepherds, because of their job, weren't able to keep all of the uh, commandments for, for cleanliness. And they weren't seen as uh, the most upstanding and honest people because they were always traveling around, right? They're always living out somewhere. So they, so they weren't seen as the best of the best. And then you have a woman in part two. And we know how the situation was then between men and women. And then third, he uses a rebellious son as the main character in the third piece of this. So his father's welcomed him back. He's invited the whole community to come and to celebrate. And then in verse 24, let's pick it up. He said, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And it said, then the party began. Meanwhile, the older son, which I hadn't heard anything about him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son. You have always stayed by me and everything that I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. 
he was lost and now he's found. So again, he's the other brother. He's the older brother. We hadn't heard about him. He's been out in the field working. He comes in, there's music. All these people are coming to the house. And he's like, what is, what is going on? They're like, your brother's back. It's a party. Your dad, you remember the calf? We've been keeping, he killed it. We're, we're going to cook it. It's going to be great. And then he gets angry and he won't go in. So you, you just think he's probably like, party, party time. What's going on? All right. And he finds out it's for his brother and his whole face changes. And he gets angry and he stays outside and the father comes and pleads for him to come in. And then you start to see him talk to his dad like we'll talk to God sometimes. The way we talk to God when we get mad or when we feel like he hasn't treated us fairly. God, I've always done this. I never did that. And all I asked you for was this one thing and you never you didn't give it to me. Right. All I wanted was that promotion. All I wanted was that house. All I wanted was this person I prayed for to be healed and you didn't give it to me. We see the anger come up, right? And we felt that. We can identify with that. He starts to use those I terms. I have, I have never, and then you never. You know, we're often warned about the sinfulness and the foolishness of the younger brother, but only more recently am I hearing people actually talk about the heart of the older brother. We're less often warned about the selfish heart of the older brother when we say, God, I deserve better than how you've treated me. I've always done or didn't do what you wanted me to do or not do. I've been good. I deserve better. And then he says, but this son of yours. So he just talked about all the good he's done in his eyes, all the good that I've done. And, and you haven't treated me fairly because this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours who devoured your assets, who squandered your money on prostitutes, dad. He spent your money on prostitutes. Like you could tell in this story, like he's been hearing where his brother is and what's going on. And he's been just kind of holding that. He said, and then he comes back and you act like nothing has happened. Don't you see what he's done? Don't you see what he's become? He's run. It's nothing good about him anymore. Who would want him? And then you kill the fatted calf for him. What are you doing? Who wants him? He's nothing now. Why would you do this? Who would want him? And what's the father's response? He's like, I want him. He's my son. He said, we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Obviously, if the brother knew what he was doing, the father knew where he had been. The father knew what he was doing, especially in this situation. The father is a type of God, our father. We know he knows where we are and what we're doing. And then yet the father had been waiting watching, expectantly hoping that the son would repent and return home. He's going to realize he's going to repent. He's going to come back down the road. He's coming home. So the answer, who, who wants him? Why would you do this for him? Because he's my son and he was dead and now he's alive. This is a day to celebrate, right? Just like the celebration when they found the lost sheep in part one or the lost coin in part two. The lost has been found. There's a joyful celebration. Then he told him, he's like, you've always, you've been here. You've been close to me. Everything that I have is yours. Why are you, why is your mind functioning 
like this. Because not only did he want the son who was lost, he wanted the son who never ran off, right? He's like, I want you too. Grouchy, calm down. He's like, I want you too. Join us in fellowship. Join us in celebration. This isn't his party. This is our party because he came home. And again, in this masterful telling, Jesus goes at two different hearts, two very different groups of people, right? He had the tax collectors and the sinners who were coming close to hear him. And then he had the Pharisees who were griping and complaining because the tax collectors and the sinners were coming close to hear him. You, you got to think that the tax collector, the sinner's mindset when they're coming around Jesus is thinking about all the stuff that they've done wrong. I've really messed up my life. I have really shamed myself and my family. What hope could there ever be for me? I'm broken. I'm ruined. I, I can't get out of this, but I keep hearing about him. I keep hearing people talk about him and he, he talks like the Pharisees because he's talking about the law, but he's not casting us aside. He's welcoming us to the table with him. And then the Pharisees are thinking all they've done, broken as they are, ruined as they are, they can never be good like us. What are they even doing here? So you see the parallel between those two. And then Jesus in these stories is telling both of them that they're wrong. He's telling both of them that they're wrong. He said, I'm calling you both to repentance. I'm calling you both to kingdom celebration. We'll eat at the same table in joy and peace together. And Jesus says in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. He's the one who searches out even one lost sheep in the wilderness and carries it home on his shoulders. Maybe can he, I'm going to make sure you get home. I'm going to carry you home on my shoulders. And there's celebration when the sheep is added back to the fold. And in the second part, when the coin is lost, a woman lit a lamp and swept the whole house, shining a light in the darkness, a way for the lost coin to be able to be found. And we know that he is what? The light of the world. His, he, he illuminates by the Holy Spirit our sight so that we can see clearly, so we can have those moments where we come to our senses and we're able to see clearly. As we wrap up, I want to focus on just a, just a little bit more of the, the story of the two brothers. Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come so we can sing together in a moment. In the story of the two brothers, one brother had wasted his life in sin and in selfishness. And the older brother in pride and his own self-righteousness. And Jesus came to deconstruct both of those views and build back the right one. A worldview of the kingdom because he was bringing grace. Something that was unknown to them. Sure, the, these situations in life is a long-term thing. Like, well, I lived for years as the foolish brother, or I lived for years, decades, as the older brother in pride and self-righteousness. But we can shift in and out of these mindsets in a 15-minute time frame in the afternoon. Our mind can go there and our heart can go there and we can slip into the attitude of either one of these two boys. And, and the point is, whenever we're there and however long that we're there, we need to come to our senses, repent and return to the father's house. Because we can fall sway to the foolishness of the younger son that I've messed it all up. I'm ruined. Who would want me? 
I'm ashamed of who I am. I'm ashamed of what I've done. Or we can fall into the fearfulness of the older son. Well, dad doesn't really love me. I have to do this or he'll run me off. I have to continue to do the things that are going to please him. And then we're, we're able to see when we repent the faithfulness of the father. Right. He's standing out on the porch waiting for us to come home. Home from our foolishness. Home from the fields of our own pride where we've been working trying to maintain the relationship that's already ours. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. We can think that he hasn't seen us, right? Like he didn't know what we were doing and the things that we're now ashamed of. Or that he didn't know what we were doing when we were working, committed, trying the best that we could. We thought he didn't see. But even in this story, he's like the father is watching over his children. In Christ, he welcomes home the repentant sinner as they come back down the road. He welcomes them home with open arms. Amen. So what we can learn from this, again, going back to the beginning, tax collectors and sinners are coming to hear Jesus teach. He's trying to tell them, you belong here. I want you here. I came here for you. And the other ones are griping and complaining. What are these runt people doing here? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. No, grace is here for them, and you need to repent too. You need to come into the celebration. You need to see things for the way that they are because there's more joy in heaven when just one lost sinner repents and returns to God over the 99, right? His grace is amazing, and it's worthy of celebration, and he wants those two groups to join together at the table and glorify him. So the last thing I'll mention, the younger brother, of course, it was a story it could have ended however Jesus wanted him, wanted it to. But we know that the younger brother doesn't always come home. The younger brother, feeling like they've wasted their life in shame and in foolishness, sitting in the pig pen, embarrassed, doesn't always come to their senses and get up and come home. Or they do come to their senses, but they think there's no way dad will ever let me back in the house. There's no way he'll ever welcome me back. And it says he was starving, right? He was close to death. We've seen too many die and, and starve to death far away from the father's house where they shouldn't have been anyway just because they felt like they wouldn't be received when they came back home. We don't want that. We don't want that. And Jesus doesn't want that. His goal in telling this story is to let you know you've never gone too far to repent and come back home. You've never gone too far to repent and come back home. Don't die out there. Come, come home. And he's telling the Pharisees and the scribes, he's like, y'all know enough to be helpful. Be helpful. See grace as being big. Don't look at your actions like you're saving yourself, like you're doing anything to build up a reputation or a resume for yourself because you need the same amount of grace. You've always been here, but understand, I'm still seeking and saving those that are out there, those that are lost. And I know this is taking a little bit longer today than normal, but I, it's important and I wanted you to hear it, that he could have died in a foreign land when his dad would have welcomed him back home. 
So scripture says we need to heap up the road for the backslider to return, clear the obstacles out of the way. We don't want to have a heart that thinks I can never go to God with what I've done. And we also never want to have a heart to think that somebody's too far gone. If there's breath there, you're not too far gone yet. If you're still living, you're not too far gone. Amen. Let's pray as we get ready to go and then we'll, we'll stand and sing together. Father in heaven, thank you that our Savior spoke very specifically on this subject. That when our heart slides over into the mindset of thinking of all the things that we've done, all the wrongs we've committed, all the things that we're ashamed of, that we'll know that we're not too far to return to your house, to repent, to change our mind in the way that we think and to ask you to forgive us and let us back in the door. That was all he let the son say in the story was I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God. And when he was about to tell him everything else that he was willing to do, he stopped him there because that was enough. And I thank you that it's enough for us today. We don't handle your grace lightly, but we see it as amazing. I thank you that we'll never suffer from the mindset that we're too far away from you. And we'll also not suffer from the pridefulness and the self-righteousness to think that we are where we are because of what we've done and not because of what you have done in us. God, that you'll always be glorified for where we stand. And we're reaching out with you to those who are lost. We're reaching out with you to those who are hungry. We're reaching out with you to those who have strayed far from home to say, repent and return. Repent and return. And I thank you for the celebration when even one repents and returns in the name of Jesus. God, as we go today, I thank you that you, you, you emblazon this on our hearts. Protect us as we go. Thank you that we leave in peace and unity together with each other. God, keep us safe. Protect your people. I thank you that health belongs to us even during this time. Lord, I pray that you relieve us from the threat of this virus. I thank you that as people's hearts are turned towards you, that you'll welcome them home. Guys, we go through this week. I pray we do so in strength and peace and wisdom and favor that comes from you and multiply grace to us that there's enough for everything that we have to deal with. And we thank you once again for coming and finding us when we were lost, giving us eyes to see how good you are and putting us on your shoulders and carrying us back home just like that lost sheep. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.